now listening to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. All right. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pat's Pulpit Podcast. It's been a while since Rich and I got together to talk all things Patriots, but <laughs> we are not short of topics anymore. I am Alex Shane here with Rich Hill. Rich Hill, hope you're doing well, because I don't really think I have time to ask you how you are, because I have no clue where we should even start today. <laughs> so I, I just woke up from the past <laughs> month. I'm really looking forward to the Patriots resolving their problems with Malcolm Butler and for Danny Amendola and Dion Lewis and Nate Solder to lead the Patriots offense to, to victory in 2018. So, yeah, I'm pretty excited for free agency to start. I think the Patriots are going to do a pretty good job of retaining all their guys. What about you? Uh, I, I would advise you either to not check the internet for a while or to find yourself a nice stiff glass of something strong, swig it all at once, and then check the internet because everything you just said is now a lie, Rachel. <laughs> this has been an unbelievable offseason for the Patriots so far. Starting with the players that they lost, the players that they retained, the players that they signed are pretty Patriot-esque. You know, you're, you're not too blown away by that. But then, just to top it all off, there was a trade that just just was just the most Belichick thing you could do um, with the Brandon Cooks. Very, very excited to break that down. Alec, I think we should start from the top, start with free agency with the players that they, they managed to retain and the ones that they lost that were on the team last year. What were your thoughts on the movement around the Patriots roster? Yeah, I mean, it's a good place to start as any. I think everything that we saw, based on where guys went, the money they got, the interest they were receiving, and what the Patriots decided to bring back in terms of personnel, makes a lot of sense to me. I mean, Malcolm Butler's gone. That was The writing was on the wall, inevitably, for that one. No shocker there. Deion Lewis, you hate to see him go, but the Patriots don't pay running backs. They don't. And him and Malcolm Butler and Logan Ryan are now going to be a nice little three uh, former Patriots three threesome down in Tennessee as the AFC South becomes more and more Patriots-esque. Um, <laughs> Amendola, you hate to see him go. I hate to see him go to Miami, especially. That really stinks. But he's taken less money for a past two contracts to stay with New England. He's restructured. This is probably his last contract. He deserves one more final payday before he retires. And Nate Solder getting $60 million makes zero sense to me because while he's a good right tackle, he's not like – I mean left tackle, excuse me. He's not a – the left tackle, and so if he's going to get that much money, then you know what? All the best of luck to you. And I'm not happy to see these guys go because they were good players, they were team first guys, they were they were cornerstones of two Super Bowl victories, a lot of them. And but that's that's them's the breaks, buddy. What can you do? Totally, totally. And going through all of the players that you mentioned, Malcolm Butler, he got the money that he was looking for that the Patriots gave to Stephon Gilmore. I am so happy that the Super Bowl did not affect what he potentially earned on the market. He got what he pretty much deserves. You know, he, he is a, a top 10 to 15 cornerback. He's getting paid as such. So he got the money that the Patriots weren't going to give. And that same thing applies to those other big four players that kind of left the Patriots. You know, Deion Lewis, he got $5 million a year, and I believe he also has roughly 750000 in incentives every year based off of playing time. And the Patriots weren't going to do that. And you see how they responded by giving Rex Burkhead a three-year $9.75 million deal. And you compare the two, 
the Titans are playing paying roughly twice as much in, if you factor in all of those incentives than what the Patriots are giving Burkhead. And I love Deion Lewis. When he's healthy, he's a top five running back in the league. We have not seen anything close to that out of Burkhead. But would you pay Deion Lewis twice as much as you'll pay Rex Burkhead? I can see why the Patriots made the choice that they made. And the same thing applies with Danny Amendola and Nate Solder is that they just got money that the Patriots were simply not going to chase no matter the need that they might have at the position. Nate Solder is the highest paid offensive lineman in the NFL. Kudos to him for making that money. Absolutely should take that every single day of the week. But the Patriots should never offer that because exactly the reason you said. Sometimes, you know, he'll come up and he'll show out like he's a top 10 left tackle in the league, maybe even a top 10 tackle overall. But he hasn't done that for any real consistent level over the past two, three years, I guess. Maybe even dating back to the before the DeGuglielmo years. So Patriots have to be like, you know what, we saw the best of that of Solder that we could have. We need to move forward and start over at the position. And we can talk about this later. They made a trade that will definitely help them do that. And then Amendola getting $6 million a year from the Dolphins. Patriots are paying Julian Edelman $5.5 a year. There's no way they're going to come close to Amendola, uh, what the Dolphins are going to pay Amendola. So, again, as you said, Amendola took pay cuts to stay with the Patriots. He should chase that money. Same story, different player all the way around. Patriots decided that they weren't going to, to pony up the big bucks for these players that aren't elite at their relative positions other than potentially Deion Lewis. And so they're just going to plug it in. <laughs> they're going to find some other players that could be middle of the road. I like what they did to replace all of those players. We can look at that in a little bit too at the Patriots acquisition. Do you have any other thoughts on the, who the Patriots lost? No, I mean, the only guys we haven't talked about are not really game changers, kind of back-end roster guys. Ricky Jean Francois had a cup of coffee in New England. He's now a Detroit Lion. Cameron Fleming, who was serviceable as a backup offensive tackle and a fourth tight end, now a Dallas Cowboy. And Jonathan Batamosi seems to be the only special teamer the Patriots have not retained <laughs> because it seems that every single move they made has been on special teams guys, bringing back Marquise Flowers, Matthew Slater. Thank goodness he was in Pittsburgh. There were horrible oh, rumors of him terrible. being in Pittsburgh. That would have been a real kick to the, the you-know-where. Uh, Nate Ebner is back, Brandon King is back, and Brandon Bolden are all back with New England. So the re-signings are not anything flashy, but they are core guys that play more than one position. And it's very Belichickian to get those guys back onto the roster. Yeah, and I think most of the players that they retained on special teams, I guess maybe the, the ones that play on the offensive or defensive side, uh, because you look at Brandon King, Slater, Ebner, and Bolden, they're pretty much pure special teams players. But you look at other players like Burkhead and Flowers, and like we can even throw a waddle into here because I'm trying to make a bigger point, is that the Patriots retain these special teams players. They put a priority on retaining these players that have a specific role on special teams, but they're also probably the top backup at their relative positions, right? Because Marquis Flowers has a very strong chance of actually seeing time on defense. Rex Burkhead will likely see a lot of time on offense at running back. But Adrian Waddle is the projected starting tackle. There's also a chance that the Patriots find someone else and Waddle will be that number three guy. So they invest in the top guy on the depth chart as opposed to the starter because when it comes down to it, when it comes time for the playoffs, those are the players that make all the difference because you will not get through an entire season without an injury. So the strength of that top player on your depth chart will eventually be the strength of your starter in week 16, 17 in the postseason. So Bill Belichick doing what he always does, 
adding talent, retaining talent where other teams generally ignore and throw their money at other places. Absolutely. And these, none of these guys are breaking the bank, which is nice. None of them are game changers. I'd argue Matthew Slater may be a game changer in the special teams game. But uh, other than that, I'm hoping that Adrian Waddle will not be the le- starting left tackle come game day. But maybe we should talk about that in a little bit as well because there really isn't anybody the Patriots have added, not re-signed, added from other teams that have really broken the bank. Yeah, they've only brought five guys in. They signed Troy Nicholas today, the, the tight end out of Arizona. They signed Luke Bowanko, the offensive lineman who was with the Baltimore Ravens. They brought in Adrian Claiborne, which is an intriguing signing from the Falcons. They signed Jeremy Hill, former Bengal, and they signed Matt Tobin, who's a tackle, who was a Seattle Seahawk, I believe, prior to this. Uh, of those five guys... Again, no big names, no major splashes. This is kind of the offseason we were used to for a very long time, except for these past two years when Stephon Gilmore came in and all these trades happened and the Patriots kind of got away from their, their bread and butter, so to speak. Any of these these new Patriots that arrived via free agency and not trade, uh, get you excited at all, Rich? Yeah, definitely. I, I'm a big fan of Adrian Claiborne's game and what he will offer New England because he's not a guy that's going to rack up double-digit sacks, but he's someone who can generate a lot of pressure and he's someone who can set the edge. He is a different player than Rob Ninkovich, but I think he'll offer a similar type of value to the team where, you know, Ninkovich offered a little more of the versatility or versatility playing on the edge, whereas Adrian Claiborne's 280 pounds, so he'll flex a little bit more on the inside. But he's a perfect complement for what New England likes to do on their defensive front. They really needed to boost their defensive front seven because no one was afraid of it whatsoever. And Claiborne is a definite improvement over Dietrich Wise and specifically Adam Butler because I believe Butler and Claiborne play a very similar role with one another. And so you have that trickle-down effect where last year the Patriots were relying on two rookies to generate a lot of pressure in the Super Bowl. That's why they had to bring in James Harrison, who is currently still unsigned but is intrigued and potentially interested in coming back to New England. But now you have Trey Flowers and Adrian Claiborne as your starters. And that means that you have Dietrich Wise coming off the bench, which is what I think is a very strong move because it'll keep everyone fresh. They'll finally have that four-man rotation on the edge. Hopefully Derek Rivers will be healthy and be able to contribute. There's a lot of potential here now for the Patriots to have a reasonable rotation on the edge that they did not have last season because they were relying on two rookies in that. That's not going to be the case this year. Claiborne generates a lot of trickle-down effect, and that's why I think he's going to give the entire defense of front seven a nice boost. I hope so. He's deciding. I actually, he was one of my targets in the offseason before they even signed him. I'm glad to see they went after him. He's a good fit in New England. He's not like a monster the way you said double-digit sacks aren't going to be his M.O., but given the, the depth and the rotational guys they have in that line, there should be enough fresh bodies on there to, to really cause some some ruckus, hopefully, because pass rush in game to the quarterback was an issue in 2017, as was containing quarterbacks. There are way too many quarterbacks who shouldn't be scrambling for first downs, scrambling for first down Patriots, and setting the edge is going to be really important. Uh, one guy who's not going to set the edge, he came over in the trade with the Cleveland Browns, um, is Danny Shelton. I didn't really know a lot about him. I watched some game tape of him once the trade was announced. I'm intrigued by this pick because I feel like them at the tackles in the area, they were kind of set with Malcolm Brown. I guess Alan Branch is no longer a Patriot. But, you know, there's there's a there's a interesting kind of dynamic with, with Danny Shelton and Malcolm Brown now that could possibly spell 
those running game woes that plagued the Patriots on first and second down in 2017. Definitely, and, and the value that Claiborne brings to the edge and to the pass rusher position is what I think Danny Shelton's going to bring to that interior because you have that huge trickle-down effect. Allen Branch was not someone they could rely on last year. Vincent Valentin was injured and did not contribute, and so they were playing Ricky Jean-Francois, and they were even asking Adam Butler to kick to the inside. This year, you got Malcolm Brown and Lawrence Guy, two players that I think are some of the better run defenders in the league. You add in Danny Shelton, who's another really good run defender. He allows those players to kick out to their more natural positions because he's a true nose tackle who's playing out of position in the 4-3 with the Cleveland Browns. What the Patriots had to do last year, though, is because Allen Branch was not playing at all, <laughs> not even playing up to a bad level, just, just not playing, that meant that the Patriots didn't have a true nose tackle because Vincent Valentino was also out. So Malcolm Brown and Lawrence Guy are better suited to line up in between or across from the guards and maybe even between the guards and the tackle. But because they didn't have Allen Branch or Vincent Valentino in the middle to take up the center, they had to slide Malcolm Brown over into the middle. They had, like, he was fine there, but it definitely limited his potential and his ability. So adding Shelton will have that trickle-down effect by allowing Malcolm Brown and Lawrence Guy to play in their more natural positions, and that should make everyone on that defensive front better. You add in Adrian Claiborne, I think that teams are going to be a little more hesitant to run against this Patriots front. That was a complete sieve last year. That's true, which means, unfortunately for opponents, they're going to have to throw the ball. And I'm going to go ahead right now and predict zero completions for every single quarterback in the NFL against the Patriots. <laughs> Because the McCourty brothers are finally on the same team in the NFL. Uh, Jason McCourty is officially a Patriot. This has been one of those weird rumors that have been trickling around for a while. I know both Devin and Jason have always wanted to play together in the NFL. He was a Titan for a while. He was a Brown for a while. He's now a Patriot, and I'm excited about it. Oh, does this mean that we can start talking about potential Larry Fitzgerald and Calvin Johnson to the Patriots things? I, I'm just asking for a friend. I, I just... I, I need to write about something. And if, if, if the Patriots can finally get Jason McCourty, everything's on the table. Uh, he, this is great. I love this move. I think the Patriots did a really great job here moving on from Malcolm Butler and adding a very similar quality and caliber player in Jason McCourty. McCourty was a great cornerback for the Browns last year that people would not know about because they were the Browns and they're terrible. But McCourty was great. He was injured his last couple of years with the Titans, but prior to his injury, he was a very good cornerback. You know, he, he was one of those top 20 type of players. He the Probably, if you ask a lot of Titans fans, Jason McCourty is one of their top two, three cornerbacks in franchise history. So he's still playing at a high level. He offers some versatility to play across from Stephon Gilmore. And I'm not saying that he's going to be like Logan Ryan, who offered a lot of ability outside and inside. But he will offer more than what the Patriots got from Malcolm Butler. And that gives the Patriots more flexibility because they want to have Stephon Gilmore trail the opposing team's top guy. And the fact that Jason McCourty will be able to kind of move inside and outside as necessary means that the Patriots will be able to better play matchups that they weren't able to do last year. And then you add in that twin dynamic. Alec, are there any negatives to this? I don't know. I mean, right now there are, there are two sets of twins, I believe. There's uh. There's the McCourty brothers, and then there's the Hollisters. Unless the one is one on the practice squad still, Jacob Hollister and Cody Hollister, are they still both Patriots? Oh yeah, oh yeah. Technically, they're oh. on the roster right now because they haven't made uh, yeah. any cuts. 
That's right. So that's just a, a wacky set of events right there. You can't have two sets of twins. It's, it's madness. <laughs> Who knows what's going to happen with those guys? And they can put the old switcheroo. Um, I imagine there'll be some shenanigans in the locker room. It's a lot of fun. Just from a talent perspective, Jason brings a lot to the table. And it's always – it's actually refreshing. There's a lot of questions on the Patriots. There's still some areas where they need to fill, some holes they need to fill. But I feel like the secondary is in pretty good shape going into the 2018 season right now, and that's a rarity. It won't stop Belichick from drafting seven DBs in the draft, including a safety <laughs> out of, like, Virginia Technical School for Mechanics uh, in the second round. But it's nice to have that warm, fuzzy feeling that the, the secondary is upset, uh, is, is set, and they've, they've, they've solidified the front line a little bit. And, you know, the moves they've made are not the, the mind-breaking ones, but they are good ones, and I'm excited about all of them. The last one to talk about, this is – Probably, I'm guessing, will be a, a throwaway move. I think it'll be a, maybe a like, late camp cut, if anything. Cordell Patterson, who the Pages ironically gave up the 29th pick in the draft for. The Vikings took him. He's now a Patriot, came over from Oakland. Obviously, offers return value, but he's never been much of a, a – he's been a very streaky wide receiver in a wide receiver core – which has been a, has a lot of bodies in it. One less now, which we'll talk about next. But what do you think of the Patterson trade? Do you think it's anything going on with this? Is this kind of just like a guy, see if he's got anything left, he can bring special teams value, or you see him at, working against rotation any capacity as an actual receiver, catch a pass to Tom Brady? Oh, well, totally on special teams, because he is an all-pro return man. He's been first-team all-pro twice. I believe he was also second-team all-pro once. So he is incredibly talented at what he does. He is one of the best in the business, and Bill Belichick knows that the league is going to start kicking more returnable kicks because of what the Patriots started last year or two years ago when they had Steven Goskowski start dropping the ball around the goal line to kind of force teams to return it. So the Patriots, when they do their kickoffs, they want teams to return it because they can pick up you know two, three yards at the advantage every single drive, and that adds up. Patterson will counter that. It'll force teams to kind of either kick it through the end zone and guarantee that the Patriots start at the 25-yard line, or they'll have to risk letting Patterson, who has a 30-yard per return average, which is just ridiculous. He has an opportunity to move it down. Uh, but whether or not he'll contribute on offense, Alex, I have a question for you. Over the past five years, there's a wide receiver that has 2,400 yards from scrimmage and 12 touchdowns, and there is a wide receiver that has 2,100 yards from scrimmage and 13 touchdowns. Who are the two that I'm talking about? One of them's Cordero Patterson. Who's the other one? No, Danny Amendola. Amendola and Patterson have had roughly the exact same contributions on offense over the past five years. That coincides with Amendola's entire tenure in New England and it's Patterson's entire career. So, yeah, Patterson hasn't been like worth a first-round pick from an offensive contribution standpoint, but he's picked up, you know, he's averaging 500 yards per season when he's actually asked to contribute. And that's that's reasonable. If he's going to be the Patriots' third guy, fourth guy, who, who what's he going to be in the Patriots' offense anyways, where they're hopefully going to have Julian Edelman back, fully healthy, ready to roll. They have Chris Hogan ready to go. You got Rob Gronkowski. Add in Malcolm Mitchell, James White. Like I don't know how many snaps are really left for Patterson, but he has the ability to make moves when he has the ball in his hands. He's not going to have to produce like a number one guy in order for the Patriots to get good value out of it. So long as he's able to contribute as a return man, and you know what, maybe he'll touch the football two, three times a game. 
If that's all he has to do, then that's totally worth it, and he's going to give the Patriots a nice boost. Tell you, man, the receiver core is suddenly an interesting thing to watch as the season, offseason, and training camp progresses. Because in addition to Patterson, it's now Julian Edelman, Philip Dorsett, Chris Hogan, Malcolm Mitchell, Kenny Britt, and then Matthew Slater and Cody Hollister and Riley McCarron. But those are the the, the top guys I mentioned um, are now the, the receiving core going forward. Edelman's probably still the number one, not named Rob Gronkowski, but he's coming off at ACL. He'll be 32, start of the season. ACL on the wrong side of 30, especially for an elusive receiver. Who knows how that will shake out. Hopefully he comes back at full strength. We're all rooting for that. But one name I did not mention in that wide receiver core, Rich Hill, is Brandon Cooks because he is now a Los Angeles Ram, courtesy of a first-round pick and a fourth-round pick, and um, or a sixth-round pick, excuse me. And the Patriots sent Cooks in their fourth over to Los Angeles. Did not see this coming. Wild move. Probably move the prompted us to get off our behind to do this podcast. <laughs> what, are your, what are your thoughts on it? Okay. There, there's a lot to break down with this trade. And first off, I want to lead because I know that there's a tendency for this to happen when players leave the Patriots. Brandon Cooks was a great player for New England. I will say that. I will pound the table for that. He put together one of the five greatest seasons for a receiver under Bill Belichick behind maybe 2007 Randy Moss, 2010 and 11 Wes Welker, 2011 Rob Gronkowski. And I would put Brandon Cooks out there. 2017 Brandon Cooks. He was a monster for the Patriots. You look beyond the yards from scrimmage and you look at how many yards that he gained for the Patriots from his defensive pass interference flags that he drew. He was able to move the Patriots down the field in the blink of an eye. He did and he did whatever the Patriots asked of him. He definitely produced what you could have hoped for it. I know that there were some expectations or belief, and I was one of the people in this camp that hoped that he could develop into a Dion Branch type of short yardage type of player, but he just never generated that short area physicality or separation needed to be an active part of that short game. But he was always, always a great contributor in that deep game. You can't understate that. But when you have the opportunity to give up a player who's going to cost you $8.5 million dollars, and another team will pay you a first-round pick, and they will also give said receiver roughly $14 million a year that you're not going to give them. <laughs> this is a player that you know isn't going to be back next year, and a team is going to give you a first-round pick for him? You take that every single day of the week. There is no question in my mind that the Patriots made the right decision with this trade. The Rams, they were looking for a number one guy. They were willing to part ways with a first rounder, and they believe that they'll reach an extension with him. More power to him. I think Cooks will be great in that offense. But New England made the right decision for the team, for the long-term health of the franchise. They are definitely weaker at wide receiver. With Cooks gone, without Amendola, hoping that Edelman and Malcolm Mitchell are able to return from their injuries, hoping that Gronkowski's head is still in the game. But this is a smart move. I support it, and I'm really excited to see what the Patriots will do with that draft pick or what else they'll do at the wide receiver position. Yeah, it's true. You know, other than your obvious people who are just in it to troll and be contrarian, your Maseratis and your, your Felgers of the world, and everyone else is like, this was a good move. It makes a lot of sense. Given the wide receiver market, given what guys are getting paid, contract players are getting, Patriots do not pay wide receivers. They don't pay running backs. They really don't do that. There's just no way 
Cooks was going to go to the Patriots, the kind of money he would command elsewhere next year. The Patriots saw the writing on the wall, saw the chance to move Cooks for a first-round pick. They got him for a 32. They moved him for a 23. That is a net gain, and they got a very productive year out of him, as you said. I don't think anybody saw Cooks being the long-term future of the Patriots. Tom Brady was not exactly crying over it either. He liked Cooks, but they never quite developed that, that perfect chemistry that you want to see with a receiver. And Tom Brady isn't the best third-level thrower in the league. He's Never has been. His deep ball is good. It's not elite and perfect. Cooks is a, a deep threat kind of guy. His root tree on the under roots, the middle routes, they weren't great. It showed in the Super Bowl. He got knocked the hell out on a middle under route. So it isn't a, a crushing loss. He will be missed. He adds a level to that offense we hadn't really seen since Randy Moss, to be honest. Aaron Dobson never quite panned out. And maybe Cordell Patterson will be that guy. I'm, I'm not holding out a hole for that. But I'm with you. We're going to miss him. But if you look at what they got in return, they now have two first-round picks and two second-round picks, and they have a lot of flexibility in a pretty deep draft. And I think it made a lot of sense for all all parties involved. And I love Brandon Cooks. I really enjoyed the human highlight reel that he was. He's going to come up on my top 20 moments countdown very shortly. But go with God, Brandon Cooks. Best of luck to you. And I'm glad he's out of the AFC East because if he went to the Miami Dolphins along with Danny Amendola, that would really chap my ass. <laughs> totally. Totally. Anyway, so with all this in mind, I'm going to run through five other trades or moves that took place, I guess, releases, retirements. Uh, Martellus Bennett, David Harris, Bernard Reedy, Caleb Kidder, and then Shane McClellan. They are no longer with the Patriots. That kind of summarizes everything that the Patriots have done. Those last five really didn't have too much of an impact for the Patriots last season. But based off of all the moves that have happened so far, Alec, uh, what are the Patriots' biggest needs as we head into draft season? Yeah, good question. I haven't done my deep draft prep just yet, but looking at what the Patriots have on their roster right now, number one for me is definitely left tackle. Nate Solder, again, he wasn't like a, a top-tier guy. He was good. He was infinitely better than Adrian Waddle. Left tackle is a very important position, especially when your quarterback is, I don't know, say 41 years old and doesn't want to get sacked a lot. I like to see them address either early in the draft or maybe through free agency or a trade. They need a left tackle. That's probably number one. And number two, I'm going to go with linebacker, especially like a, a kind of lateral linebacker. Dante Hightower is great, but he's an injury risk. He always has been. And when he went down, they never really made up for the loss of that presence. So I want to see them flush with the linebacking core as well. Oh, I agree entirely. That's actually uh, that's what I would say. Uh, for, for 2018, left tackle and an off-the-ball linebacker are exactly what the Patriots need. They need someone that is capable of stepping in and contributing on day one. They have a little bit more leeway at linebacker. If Hightower is able to return to full strength and you add in Van Noy and Flowers, it's a pretty solid trio. Roberts is okay on running downs, but that's definitely a position they should look to upgrade. Left tackle, they definitely have a huge vacancy. There are a few other positions that become needs when you look at the Patriots roster construct and when contracts expire, after the season, Shaq Mason and Trey Flowers will both be free agents. So that is definitely of note, as will Chris Hogan at wide receiver, uh, Cordero Patterson as well, Kenny Bray. I mean, pretty much all of the wide receivers other than Julian Edelman and Malcolm Mitchell. And then you get tight end. You got Rob Gronkowski and a whole bunch of, nah, you know, whatever. And so what you have to really boost the Patriots roster thinking of not just the 2018 season, but also 2019 when you're looking at the draft. 
The priority, of course, in the first round should be left tackle, linebacker, but they should also think to 2019 looking at quarterback, wide receiver, potentially tight end, and then uh, a cornerback, maybe guard. I, I think that they will extend Shaq Mason. They really like him, but they, they, they just need to look to kind of the, the number three spot potential starters because typically what the Patriots do in free agency is flush out the roster so there's no clear and obvious needs because that gives them more flexibility in the draft to take the best player on their board at any given time. When you look at the roster right now, other than offensive tackle, I think that they have achieved that goal. They have enough talent that there's no real glaring, oh, they need someone step in day one other than at left tackle. So they've accomplished their offseason goal. There will be a, a lot of other opportunities to move around and stuff. I'm just really excited that the Patriots now have two picks in the first round, two picks in the second round, because that means that they'll trade. And I love when the Patriots trade on draft day because that's just so much more fun than them not having any picks until the third round. No, it really is. And, you know, we'll definitely have a, a closer to the draft date. We'll have a breakdown on the podcast of what they're going to do, some possible prospects, some good fits in the college draft pool. It's a pretty good draft this year. should be a lot of fun to watch. But before we close this podcast out, Rich, I don't want to talk too much about the draft because, again, I haven't really done my, my homework on it yet, and I look like an idiot more than I usually would. <laughs> there are still some talented players out there as free agents. Are there any guys that are on your radar the Patriots might bring in to round out the roster before they go to the draft? Well, if you look at some of the, the positions of need, I wouldn't be surprised if they brought in someone like Jordan Matthews. I know that he has been coming back from a series of injuries, but he's a very talented slot guy that New England could ask to step in, replace the departed Danny Amendola. Jordan Matthews is kind of similar to a Marquise Colston in the sense that he's a huge guy, plays in the slot. He has been very, very productive. First three seasons in the league with Philadelphia – he averaged roughly like 870, 880 yards per season, had over eight touchdowns in his first and second seasons in the league. So he's a productive guy when given the right opportunity. I think he could have a, a real chance to thrive with the Patriots. That's someone that they also brought in for a workout, so that is definitely worth noting. Other positions, it's mostly looking to fill out for uh, – the just camp bodies, I guess, because there, there isn't anyone else really. Who are they going to bring in at offensive tackle? I know that they had some interest in uh, Austin Howard a little bit, but I don't know if anything's going to happen there. All the tight ends that are, are worth noting are pretty old, so who knows if they will uh, ever come back. And so what are they going to do? Maybe linebacker? I don't know. Is there anyone that jumps out to you? Uh, I mean, there's Jarrell Freeman from the Bears. He's decent. Uh, there's Navarro Bowman from the 49ers and Raiders. He's never really been the same since the injury. Freeman is 30 or 31. Bowman's 29. And then there's they want to go with their classic kind of old Wiley veteran. There's Derek Henry or Derek uh, Derek Johnson, excuse me, from the the Chiefs. He's about 34 or 35. He could be one of those veteran guys at linebacker. I feel like linebacker depth really hurt him last year. They signed David Harris, never used him. I don't know what they were doing. Landon Roberts and Kyle Van Noy kind of tried to carry that. I like to get at least one more guy back there as a linebacker. So maybe Bowman, maybe Freeman, maybe Derek Johnson. But like you said, there's really not anybody out there that's going to be a, a front-of-the-roster guy. The more before injury insurance and, and depth. 
Yeah, no, totally. And I, I think if I'm Bill Belichick and if I'm Nick Casario and I'm building this Patriots roster right now, if these veterans are still on, <laughs> still available right now, I'm in no rush to get them. You know, I, I'd rather see who comes from the draft, who are the preferred free agents. I'd rather get five preferred free agents than get a, a veteran on his last legs without a real clear role for them. Because if you add some of these older guys, what are they going to do? He's exactly what you said with David Harris. Sure, he was a great guy to have in the locker room, but he didn't contribute on special teams. He didn't contribute on defense. He just kind of took up a roster spot. I'm sure that, you know, if you have an opportunity to get some young player that has more upside, you might as well take that. You know, they're going to take like a Connor Barwin, or maybe they'll just designate that roster spot to a different player and maybe have them under control for three years on a rookie deal. Sure. I mean, I don't think Derek Johnson is going to be – his phone is not ringing off the hook. Maybe he'll want one more chance for a ring like as veterans tend to do. Bowman, you know, camp bodies. But I think there's a lot of offseason left. There's still some trades we made. I still see one more big move from the Patriots coming. And like you said, two picks in the first round, two picks in the second round. They'll package that. They'll do something crazy. I'm excited for the draft for the first time in a long time because I feel like the, the Patriots have, have capital for the first time in a long time. And uh, we will definitely have more to break down on that draft once we get close to the actual date. Oh, absolutely. And do you have any final thoughts on the Patriots free agency before we sign off? Don't go to sleep again, Rich, because you missed a lot. Stay awake. <laughs> Stop a, screwing around. It's been a busy, busy month. Alec, until next time, you have a good one. You too, buddy. See you. Later, man. I'm Spencer Hall from SB Nation, and I want to tell you about my new show, It Seemed Smart. It Seemed Smart is a show about people doing things that, for some reason or another, seemed smart at the time. Those things might include doing a little cocaine and driving a bike up a mountain, or, I don't know, maybe racing 100 miles per hour across the country in the middle of the night with no one's permission, or even stealing a bat from an umpire's room in a Major League Baseball park. Check it out, and if you like it, tell a friend. I'm Spencer Hall. Don't do anything smart.